0: And we are live yet again for this week's Billy Live Friday, also known as our Body I Love You podcast. My name is Sydney Revelada. I'm the co-creator of Body I Love You, which is the course in the community that literally teaches self-love. And I'm joined today by the ever so lovely, I love to call her Billy's resident hot mom, Jen Price. She's <laughs> one of our Body I Love You coaches. I and, love it. Uh, I'll take the title, hot mom. <laughs> that's <laughs> yeah I will take that one pleasure um, to be here yeah I love having you on the pod Jen because we just get to like shoot the shit we just get to like have open conversations we would be having these conversations whether or not they're recorded yeah, exactly and I think that that's really like cool. if we were
1: having coffee we'd just be chatting about this
0: stuff <laughs> exactly exactly I'm actually particularly excited to have this conversation with you because I know that you have made a lot of uh, leeway and like growth in your life when it comes to this conversation, too. I know I have as well. And I know I have a long way to go. Yeah. The topic that we want to discuss today is taking up space, taking up space, people. And there's so many like layers to this conversation because you know, let's just talk about the first layer. The first thing that I think of when I think of taking up space is, especially through this lens of the conversations that we have around bodies, my brain automatically goes to women are trained to want to be as small as possible physically. Like we just have such a priority of losing weight and, um, and truly shrinking our bodies. We're not, we don't feel like we're like actually allowed to take up physical space Jen what comes to mind for you
1: yeah I think for me the first thing that comes to mind is just uh is 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 that but also um that feeling that you can't like basically more your voice like you can't have an opinion you um have to be really well mannered like almost like you can't just be yourself in a way yeah
0: yeah definitely yeah. Cause I think of this like physically, as we just spoke to in yours, I heard a bit of like mental and emotional, Yeah, but like taking up space mentally, as well as emotionally. I, something that we hear a lot, just starting with this conversation around like the physicality of it. Yeah. I noticed something that we get a lot in our groups is women who refuse to like buy larger clothing right 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 there's so much shame in it why do we why do we think that That is
1: because I think it's like we're we're like confronted with this like oh my gosh we're not the size that we're supposed to be which is just silly because size varies based on the brand based on like you know 50 years ago size 10 was different than it is now all that like there's so many things that go into that it's just ridiculous that we even put any kind of a self-worth around the size that we wear but we're trained to to do that right like like you said we're trained to like not take up space and it's like like even you saying that makes me think about like you know back in the day women didn't have a place at the table right like like we you know it's like I think about just like sitting at a table and having a conversation with somebody we weren't allowed we weren't allowed to vote we weren't allowed to, so like like literally we couldn't actually have a chair you know
0: yeah yeah and it's so frustrating. And I feel like too, when it comes to just like this size conversation, so many women view it as like failure. Like if their bodies are larger then that's failure. And if they purchase a larger size, then that's like acceptance of that failure, which again, it just, it speaks to our inability to allow ourselves to like truly take up space. I remember just this last round, we had a participant, she was sharing a win that she went to Walmart to go buy um, like a t-shirt or something. And none of the women's sizes fit her, but the men's sizes did. And she was like, first of all, like cool that I found a shirt, I guess. But second of all, how annoying that men are trained that they can like take up all this space, they can wear the bigger clothing, they can like have the bigger stuff, whatever. And I have to like go through the mental embarrassment of like, damn, I have to buy a, a man's clothing just to like exist and wear a shirt that actually fits
1: me. Yeah. Well, and speaking of like the physicality of space, like I even feel like we are kind of taught to almost like like when we walk into a room, like sort of shrink and not be proud of ourselves even, right? So it's like not just like our size, but how much size we take up with what we have, right? By yeah. just standing proud and um and you know feeling like we belong there.
0: Yeah. That's so. just as you said that, I realized that I do that. And I was thinking, cause there's a number of reasons why we like hunch our shoulders over and like kind of cave our right. chests. And yeah, one of the reasons I've heard is that we're like, our bodies literally trying to protect our heart, which I think is yes. and amazing. But I was, I was picturing myself walking into a room of like people that I don't know. Um, particularly for me, I noticed this comes up. It it does make a difference for me if it's predominantly men versus predominantly women. I noticed when I like make myself smaller, it's to like hide my tits a little bit. It's to like right. yes. bring attention to my boobs.
1: I was just going to say, I think also when I come to think about physical space, I think about like the clothing that we wear, kind of like what you were saying, like it was okay to wear big clothing, but also to like to wear whatever we want because that was something I definitely experienced was sort of like walking into a room and like almost like you shouldn't dress so that you get attention right like it's almost like a bad thing to like to you know and it's like you know we've talked about this before like if you've got boobs too like you just you know sometimes you can't help but you you know unless you're gonna wear a big like moo moo your your boobs are gonna show right it's just your body and so like I definitely feel like and I feel like whenever that happens to you often sometimes get looks from not just men, but women kind of judging you because they were taught that that's not cool to do. And so I think it's so great if you can challenge yourself to walk into a room and be proud of whatever you're wearing, whatever it is, and um, be willing to look that person in the face and maybe even smile back at them, right? when you, Because a lot of times I think we also assume, oh, they're judging me, when actually it might not be. They might be admiring you for your boldness, right? You just don't know.
0: Totally, totally. It's so interesting that you just said that. I had a very... um... I just had an experiment or like an experience. It was both on Halloween, which was just this past Monday. yeah. So I didn't have any like actual, like going out Halloween plans. And I'm a sucker for like the hoopla of Halloween. And I love like seeing yeah. trick-or-treaters like for sure. And I can't enjoy that stuff. If I'm not dressed up myself, that's just who I am. It's just how I operate. So I literally put bat wings on my dog which is the cutest thing you've ever That's seen. Amazing. And <laughs> and I, I like fully myself dressed up as like a witch. And for me, that looks like feminine and sexy and just like drenched in black. Um, and oh yeah, I just felt amazing. And I literally just took my dog on a walk while it was like peak trick trigger time. Yeah. And, um, in my house, I felt like I need to dress like this all the time. Like, well, I look absolutely amazing. I feel so in my element in this outfit. And the second I walked outside, I was like, this seems vulnerable. <laughs> this, <laughs> is, this is a lot. And I noticed pure observation. There truly wasn't any judgment. But I noticed from women a lot of side eyes as I walked yep. by. Yep. And thank God for this work that I'm able to, you know, so many people would see that or witness that and make it mean something about them or just be really cruel towards those women. Right. Of like, you hate me because you hate me. Like you're just jealous, bitch. Like it truly was none of that. It was just really observing of like, how interesting something about just seeing me is creating a response in you. And I feel a disconnect because of that. And I literally felt like I looked too sexy or like I looked to something. Like I was really like owning my confidence once I like got the walk going and, and all of that stuff. But I did notice that there was kind of that I had internalized pressure from the females around me and it made me want to make myself smaller. It was like, I'm shining too bright right now. This is a lot.
1: yeah. I think that's it, we're afraid to shine because we're sort of taught not to, right? Yeah. And that's just totally comes so much from the patriarchy, right? From like, you know, like, and it's funny also, I was thinking about, I think a story that I told you once that I was walking down, it's just a simple little thing, right, i be, really became more aware of taking up space after taking body I love you just because it's like, talked to so many women who like literally say they're afraid to take up space in so many ways. And even just as something as simple as walking down the sidewalk and passing somebody, I noticed myself wanting to like move out of the way if, if for somebody else, rather than just me just being like, oh, wait a minute, I'm on the sidewalk too. Do I have to move out of the way? Is it, why do I have to be always the one? And there's a difference between being courteous and like, also just feeling like you're you you you're, you don't matter. Right. Yeah. Like, if somebody else has priority over you.
0: Yeah. Yes. And it's, it's too, I noticed like even sometimes with when it's my fault, like if I bump into somebody, usually it's women who will look at me and be like, I'm sorry. And I've, I've I've practiced doing this new thing that when somebody apologizes to me for something that they don't need to apologize for, my response is just, oh my God, don't be. And I notice that that kind of like catches people off guard. They're like, wait, yeah, I didn't do anything. <laughs> right. There's nothing to be sorry it. <laughs> for. It's just literally like my knee-jerk reaction to apologize because I feel like I'm getting in your way
1: yeah I love that I love that because yeah we are apologizing for taking up space on the planet like we are here on the planet and we're meant to take up space right literally
0: yeah (laughs) when you were talking about like a a seat at the table I was thinking about like first of all those listening on the pod won't be able to see but my the way that I sit I'm constantly cross-legged and then one knee is like propped up anyone who's in, like, spine, I do that all the time. It's going to be like, please stop sitting like that. It's just the way that I said, I've always sat this way. It doesn't matter what I'm wearing. I, if I'm sitting in a chair, I'm sitting like this. And I was thinking about, uh, like cross your legs. Like how many times have you heard somebody say to a woman, sit ladylike, or like cross your legs. And then you hear on the opposite side of that coin, this concept of man spreading that like, when a man sits down, he spreads his legs. He takes up so much space and women are just inherently cross your legs, make yourself very small, sit lady. Like it's not ladylike to sit with your legs open. What the fuck is that shit?
1: Right. I totally agree. And guys totally do it all the time. They sit down and they're just like, whatever, you know, <laughs> here I am. I mean, I always laugh when I see Like, I remember like when I used to work in corporate, like just seeing men, like literally like in a meeting, like sitting back like this, almost like ultra casually, you know, whereas the women in the room were like prim and proper, hands in the lap. I mean, it's so interesting to think like we're taught to do that from, from the time we we're so little and we don't even think about it.
0: We literally don't even think you know what that just reminded me of. I was in like a it was a big meeting, Zoom meeting earlier this week. And I noticed I like leaned back in my chair and I put my hands behind my like this. I felt so masculine. I felt so like, whoa, I'm sitting like intense right now. But I was thinking like, if a man were to do this, it wouldn't even be a second thought. I'd be like, yeah, this is how I sit. This is how I sit comfortably. Right. I take up space for sure. And I noticed, so I was like, whoa, this is this is a lot. I'm like bringing weird attention to myself. And it was like this whole interesting internal dialogue. I didn't even think about it until you just brought that up.
1: Well, and that's funny. It also brings up the point of like, physically like and and there is this sort of like crossover between physical space and the mental and emotional right um but it does remind me of like what you know the the confidence stance right like if you stand with your arms out and you like you know have this confidence it's supposed to like actually bring confidence to you so like if you're going into a meeting or you're about to speak on on stage it's a good idea to, to like do the confidence stance, Right. And there have been studies about this and they basically ultimately confirm that it's true. But part of it is because your body taking up space, then it also affects your mind and your mind is feeling more confident. So it's, it, yes. there is this total overlap.
0: Yes. It is so interesting to think about, like, even I just started envisioning myself. Like when I do feel like I'm, I'm in the way I do this weird, like I'll jump back and then I'll like Put my hands in front of me, like I'm literally <laughs> trying to. I'm so sorry, like literally trying to make myself as small as possible. And I'm just trying to envision if I've ever witnessed a man do that. Not from a I judgmental, a pointy place. I, I'm just, ge- I'm genuinely picking my brain. I can't, I can't think of it.
1: Yeah, I do. I, I do notice when men are like a little bit more prim and proper when they cross their legs. Just little things that men don't usually do. I notice that. But speaking of men, like I feel like. um, when when it comes to taking up space and wearing what you want, I think about the um, LGBTQ community, right? And how they really feel like they need to take up, you know, feel like they haven't been able to take up space as well, because like, they're not allowed to be who they are, not to be able to wear, if you're a man, wear a dress or wear makeup, or, you know, even a man be able to like, you know, speak their feelings, all
0: of that, right? Right.
1: In some ways men have also been victims of this patriarchy because they are also taught to be in this one specific role. 100%
0: One hundred percent. And even just as you were saying, like men crossing their legs, I I instantly had empathy of like, yeah, when I see or when just when the average human sees a man cross their legs, it's viewed as it's viewed as like a, a feminine trait. And how sad and annoying that it. Like, what if that's just the comfortable way to sit? And of course, as always in this conversation, we're never viewing to to bash men in any way, shape, or form, we're simply just observing social norms of how we're usually trained. These are not at all blanket statements for all men, of course, and just like anybody's upbringing, so many people are trained that they're not allowed to take up space. If you had like a particularly emotional uh, parent, or somebody who just like had no problem taking up space, you probably adapted and molded yourself to that. And just inherently you take up less space. Absolutely. With people who are like completely, totally misunderstood, they feel the need to to not take up space. I saw a TikTok the other day and it was this guy and he had um, really beautiful like acrylic nails on. And I think he worked at like a coffee shop. And this couple comes in and the wife is like, oh my God, I love your nails. Those are so cool. So beautiful. And the guy working at the coffee shop noticed instantly that the, the husband in this relationship, there was a disconnect. He was kind of like looking him up and down and all this stuff. Right. And one of the things the husband said, he's like, yeah, I bet it's, I bet it's pretty hard to, to get girls with those nails or <laughs> something like that. And the guy looks at him, he's like, I don't know your wife liked him. <laughs> love that that. but there's so much there like we we literally view someone at a vanity standpoint and like if somebody's willing to take up space within their quote-unquote femininity regardless of what gender they are we instantly look to how attractive do other people find you
1: right how fuckable
0: do I think you are and like judge people based on that
1: yeah yeah that's so true Right, because I mean, yeah, I mean, like that's also assuming that he might have been joking assuming he was gay, right, but he might not have been and also just assuming like you can't be gender fluid and whatever, right? It's just an right. interesting comment. like like as if your nails have anything to do with how fuckable you are anyway, right?
0: Right. <laughs> right. 100%. And this totally, like you said, goes into the the mental, as well. So when I think of like mentally taking up space, I think of the, we've met so many women who experience this. I know that I've experienced this when let's say, well, women do have a seat at the table now, right? We are able to vocalize our stuff and how many times have like, I said something and then there is a, a man at the table as well. And then he says something similar to identical to what I just said and his comments is acknowledged and mine is not mhm why do we think that is
1: i mean i honestly think we're just trained to think that men you know have are more intelligent first of all and yeah. and have a you know they're i don't know I, I i don't know i think it's i think it's a long time training but i definitely have noticed that same thing has happened to me for sure where yeah. like my ideas don't seem to matter until a guy says something or I can voice my opinion. And then it's almost like my opinion doesn't matter until a guy says something.
0: Right.
1: Um, It's happened to me so many times. It's just crazy to me. And, And you, you don't even have to like, it doesn't have to be another guy that says it. you can just notice yourself saying something. And like, it just seems like it wasn't heard. Right. Right. And it
0: seems maddening. Like you almost wonder if like, I know when I was in this situation, I thought I was being fucked with. I thought people were fucking with me because <laughs> it was straight up. Like I had said something and then the guy next to me says the exact same thing. He was like, Oh my God, that's a great idea. I literally looked around and was like, you guys, that's, that's funny. That's not cool. <laughs> and it, it wasn't a joke. Like they just genuinely didn't hear what I said. This is actually a conversation that I brought to my husband not too long ago, because I remember in that round of body, I love you one of the like topics of conversations was, uh, and this group, we were mostly talking to like hetero couples, but um, we are talking to a couple of wives and they were saying like, yeah, God, I just feel like I will communicate something to my husband. And he like acknowledges it. He'll like make eye contact with me, like insinuate that he acknowledges what I'm saying and it's fine. And then the next time this thing happens, it's almost like he's never heard it before. Like, I feel like I'm so clear with my communication then it's almost like it's forgotten or whatever that is. And of course, that's so frustrating to hear. And I've definitely experienced a level of that myself. And I have a curious brain. So I literally go to my husband, not from a place of like, yeah, what the fuck is wrong with men? It was literally just like, I noticed this is a really common thing that I coach around all the time. Do you have any idea or insight as to like why this is? And as we like opened up a discussion about it and he was like, well, yeah, women are trained that, you know, their, their words or their concepts aren't as important. Like women are, uh, men are definitely trained that our, our opinions are, welcome whenever and you know we can just totally freely speak our minds. so I'm sure that some of it is societal training and we spoke to another side of things this is just some like random thing that I heard in a college course one time but it was like I don't even know if I've I may have mentioned this on the pod before but we process uh like different tones differently in our brains so like usually we process a female voice the same way that we kind of process like melody or song or like we would like birds chirping or something like that. And usually with the, the deeper, more guttural male voice, we process that the same way that we would other deeper guttural sounds like a, a, an engine or a revving or something like that. So it's it's literally like different points in our brain trigger or like acknowledge what we're hearing from certain people so I I acknowledge that too It was like definitely there's societal training here and is there like seriously something scientific about this that like we process different information differently based off of like the sound of somebody's voice which I don't know how I feel about that like I don't want to argue with science but it also seems like (laughs) bullshit a little bit who knows right um,
1: it does make me wonder is that you know, is that just nature versus nurture versus, you know, conditioning? Nice. Like, I think it's a little bit of everything maybe. Yeah. Right.
0: Yeah. And so we were talking about, he's like, I'm, I'm sure it's a little bit of both. And then he brought a really interesting observation, which is like on public transportation, when you, um, when you hear a voice, like giving information, it's usually a female voice next stop da da. you know, like just directions of like where you are. Yeah. When it's a command, it's usually uh, a man's voice. Mm. Stand behind the line. <laughs> you know what right. I mean? Can you like envision those voices? And I yeah. I've never actually thought about it. But now that he said that, I was like, oh my God, that's totally true.
1: I never thought about that. That's crazy.
0: Me neither. And we are talking about how people are, and this is within the bullshit training that we've all received, but people uh feel more inclined to listen when receiving demands from a masculine voice or a masculine energy yeah and when uh when we're just being like given information that we need we're willing to accept that from from women
1: yeah because women are doing being too masculine if they're giving commands i've definitely heard that i mean it's like that whole assumption that you know a woman manners manager is a bitch you know versus a guy is not it's just you know can be they could be being in the exact same way, but the woman's a bitch just because she's giving commands, you know.
0: One hundred percent. I remember. So people- I remember reading
1: something similar to what you were talking about with the voice, which is that um, if you're if you're listening to speakers in a room, that a man will get I think it's like I want to say like like two thirds more attention than a woman, like quite a bit more. And the only only one that trumps of a man speaking is a redheaded woman just because of the anomaly of a redhead. So I think really? it's also, so it makes me wonder, is it just the voice or is it also the appearance and like what catches your attention, which is maybe why women who, you know, show off more skin sometimes get more attention, but you know, both men and women don't like that.
0: Right. And it's very different attention, right? Right. Exactly. So, so yeah, that topic, what you were saying about like women in leadership being perceived as like bitchy or bossy and it's how unfortunate is that one that one actually really bumps me out because in so many instances it could literally be like we're saying the exact same thing and a masculine energy is viewed as authoritative whereas or like a a leader like inspiring versus a woman could be saying the same thing and she doesn't know her place or she's a bitch or you know worse words that I'm not willing to use here
1: I can definitely speak to not exactly the same thing, but when I went to, um, you know, go as a woman going through a divorce, um, when I went to uh, on vacation with my family, I definitely noticed this strange dynamic where I felt like every time I voiced my opinion, it was like, oh, Jen's being argumentative where it was just, I'm just speaking my opinion about something versus like before when I speak my opinion, when I was with my husband, it was like, oh, it's like they're, they're, they're in agreement together. And I, it was kind of like more like, you know, the guy who, who, you know, my husband who may have agreed with me, I felt like his opinion was always revered more than mine was. But when I was by myself, it was really interesting. I, it's hard to explain exactly the, the dynamic I'm talking about, wow. but I really felt it from everyone in my family and it's hard to explain unless you're like in that situation but it's just this difference between like having a partner with you and not and I definitely was like felt like a lot like when I was giving my opinion about like where we should go or what we should do or you know this we should should we take this train or this train or whatever it always it was like I was being painted as a person who's just being argumentative and being difficult
0: yeah all the time
1: when I just had an opinion just like everyone. right
0: yeah. Right. Whereas somebody else would be perceived as like, oh, they just have a strong opinion or they're inviting some, some healthy debate or something like that versus right. you're being problematic. Yeah. Fucking bullshit. Oh my God. I just had another example in my brain, but it slipped me.
1: Well, I was also thinking about speaking your voice. I think about, um, different times when you might be talking besides like at, at a, you know around a, a, like literally at work you know at a board meeting you're speaking your opinion um you know in a sales presentation but also another thing that comes to mind is like at the doctor's office right like how many women feel like they go to the doctor's office speak their opinion and it's totally not heard because you have a male doctor who just doesn't think you know like and it's your body <laughs> right so not only is it like frustrating because you're a woman but also because it's your body and you know the doctor's not paying attention because they think yes. they know more than you
0: Oh my God. You just literally spoke to the two things that slipped my brain. So uh, (laughs) I'm going to say something and I'm very aware that this comes from a fictional TV show. Jen, did you, did you get into, are you a Game of Thrones person at all?
1: I did, but I, it was really hardcore violent, like especially sexually violent for me. So I stopped watching like middle of third season. I just could, I couldn't. Yeah. I get that. Yeah. It can definitely
0: be a lot. So house of the, of the dragon just you know, oh, yeah. season finale. Uh, okay. So that, uh, that show is highly triggering for me as somebody who's absolutely petrified of giving birth. Like Literally the first episode, my husband looks at me, he's like, this probably <laughs> isn't helping your cause too much, is it? And I was like, it's definitely not. But what I noticed, and again, I am aware that this is from a fictional show and very much representative of what actually happens, be it reflective of, that time so long ago, as well as like, we still still see examples of this today, but it would, there were throughout the show, there were a number, this might be a spoiler alert for some people, by the way, but there would be a number of times when a woman would be in labor, she would have major complications. And then the doctor would literally bring her husband out the room and say like, Hey, so we can either, um, save the baby and your wife is going to die or you know they, they will both just pass. And it was always up to the husband to make that executive decision. And Jen, not only that, they communicated none of it. They communicated none of it to the woman. So they would literally be like forcing labor and her not knowing what's going on, if she's going to live or she's going to die or whatever. And they're literally yeah. making these decisions for her outside of this room and not even looping her back into the conversation. So obviously, my brain, if that's like desperate to know that there's justice on the planet, says like, that's a lot or that's a script or whatever. But I think of my friend who recently went in to go get um what is it called? What is it called? When women's when women get their tubes tied.
1: uh. uh... Basectomy, yeah. that's a guy though. Um oh, that's a guy. Yeah, I forget what it's called. But anyway, I, yeah, I know totally,
0: <laughs> anyway. That yeah. she went in to uh to get that done and they wouldn't do it. This legitimately happened within the past two years. They wouldn't do it without her husband's consent.
1: That is crazy to me. That should be her decision no matter what.
0: No matter fucking what. Yeah. Mind you, she already has children. She like. And even if she didn't, that's another thing too. I'm sorry. There's like a lot going on over here. Yeah. That's another thing that I've heard too, of women who have made the conscious decision to not have children when they go in to have that done. It's like this whole thing of like, oh, well, well we want to wait until consent from your husband because you might change your mind one day or whatever. And it's like, uh, excuse me. I know myself. I know my body. This is not up to somebody else who yeah. wants to pump me with children for their own bed. Absolutely not. This is 100% up to me. The fact that it's 2022 and this is still something that we see in the medical field is a fucking nightmare.
1: That's crazy. That's, to me. that's that nightmare. Me, shit. That makes to me. me angry. That's ridiculous. Yeah. It also reminds me of, I think of my mother-in-law before she passed, you know, had some health issues and I feel like, and this is more, I think it's more of a, just a matter of doctors feeling like, um, you know, the sense of wanting to keep someone alive as long as possible. It's kind of what they tend to do, but Mm -hmm. I feel like she wasn't fully informed of like all the different choices she had, which includes like maybe no treatment at all. Right. Like to have a complete full picture of the likelihood of certain things, procedures happening to her, if she decides to go forward and what those procedures look like. And, you know, all the things, cause I think, I think the doctors are so focused on like, I know what's best for you. I know, you know, what's, you know, uh, the, the, you know and also just keeping someone alive as long as they possibly can but not thinking about the quality of life and it's frustrating to me because I feel like it just doesn't especially and I'm sure that there's just naturally happens more with women because it's just history like you know I think back in the day women didn't have the say I mean you know even though that's just a tv show I think that's actually how it was
0: straight up yeah 100
1: yeah and so it's just it's so oh it's infuriating
0: it's absolutely infuriating and speaking of taking up space within the medical field is such a huge thing as well. I literally just this week, I had a telephone doctor's appointment and um, I'm thinking about going on this new medication. And so I have, I'm the person who like, I kind of black out in doctor's offices. Like I don't, I don't hear so much of the information. They're like, Do you have any questions? And I'm so overwhelmed with not even knowing what questions to ask that I'm like, Nope, all good. When in my brain, I'm like, Yeah, I don't know what the fuck is happening. Like, I literally don't know what's going on at all. So I built the habit of writing out questions beforehand and bringing them into the office to make sure that I uh, am aware oh, of them.
1: Great idea. That way you're right? not like swayed by, you know.
0: Totally. I'm like, I have a list, stay the fuck right where you are. And we're going to go over this, this list question by question. Um, and so I, on this telephone call, I was just asking a number of questions, questions that like, like she was telling me about this medication and what it could possibly do for me. And I was like, but what does this actually do? Like what's actually happening in my body? Once I put this in my body and that question felt like, annoying. And then I was even asking like medications that I'm already on should have no, you know, negative side effect to like comparing with this new medication. But I was like of course I don't see how it could but of, you know, of course I just have to ask will this coincide negatively at all with the medication that I'm already on? And again, it felt like I was like inconveniencing her. It felt like I was taking up too much of her time and I just literally flash back to all the times that I when I took birth control, I didn't know what the fuck I started taking. When I started taking anti-anxiety medication, I didn't know what the fuck I was taking. Like there are just so many things that because I view you as like the professional, you are the one taking up the space in this room, you know everything and I know nothing, just give me whatever and it's totally fine and being an adult and seeing that like, oh, it super matters what I put in my body actually, like, it, like I, I should definitely have asked more questions when it came to this thing and I felt annoyed that me taking up space felt annoying. And who knows, I could have totally made that up in my brain. And a lot I'm of sure the you, so I actually bet you reason. didn't because yeah. uh,
1: I have many fam- family members in the pharmaceutical industry. And the thing is, is a lot of doctors rely on, you know, sales reps and the drug companies to tell them, you know, what the drug does. So, cause if you think about a doctor doesn't have the bandwidth to understand the intricacies of every single drug, so you okay. asking that question was probably like, mm, I'm not sure. That means that that person had to go look up and make double sure. I mean, they yeah. probably have a protocol of prescribing this particular thing for this particular ailment, and they it's not that they don't have any idea. I'm sure that they have seen patients and seen what works for you know your type of you know whatever was going on with you. But, and it's not, you know, it's not like they're not informed because they do, you know, depending on the doctor, but that's the thing. It depends on the doctor, <laughs> depends on, you know, what, the, what they're used to and how much, how much, you know, research and work they're doing, you know, and what they're observing versus just following protocol. And also how busy their schedule is. Because sometimes they're literally seeing patients like that and they don't even, they don't even know half the time. 100%. But frankly, that's why you almost have to like, you really have to take so much control of your own health. It's crazy.
0: You do. And chronic people pleasers like me, the, the person who apologizes for you bumping into me, right? I see it as like, you have so many patients to get to. Fuck my questions. Just like go on with your day. Right. Right. When it's actually your body. So it's my body. It's my health. It's a huge deal. It yeah. deserves to take up so much space. I was actually just having a conversation with a family member. I won't say who, but she was telling me about um, different medications that she was on and she started taking a new medication. She is dealing with like heart stuff. And um, she went into like a serious depression, like very quickly after taking this medication. and she was told by her doctor that there shouldn't be any conflicting side effects for combining her medications. And sure enough, she goes online and just does some basic research and she sees that the exact two medications that she's taking should absolutely not be taken together. And so she goes to her doctor, like pissed as fuck, saying like, what the hell? I shouldn't have to be doing this research for myself. Like you guys should have known this. This is insane that I was prescribed these two things. My entire life was thrown off track. Like this is not, this is not, 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 okay? Yeah. And this is totally the like patriarchal uh, kind of norm that I've been trained in my brain. But I remember I used to view, anytime I saw a woman- up in arms about health stuff. It was kind of like this. I did my research. I definitely had this bias of like, shut up. You don't know what you're talking about. The doctor knows best. Like just listen to what the doctor says and like, just take it. And I used to view these women as difficult.
1: Right. Maybe even crazy.
0: Right. Maybe even a little bit crazy. Yes. Yeah. 100%. I just realized that as I There's was people telling that that are story. So
1: emotional and are irrational and we are like hyper-focused on whatever we're t- talking about. And we like make up stories, blah, 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 right? Hysterical. Yeah. yeah. Hysterical. Hysterical. And the word Right. That's where that word comes from.
0: Girl. Yes. Yeah. 100%. Okay. This, this brings up to, uh, this brings us to our next layer, which is taking up space emotionally. Okay. Right. Can we talk about hysteria real, real quick for a, for, a set? Yeah, for a hot second?
1: Yeah, let's <laughs> talk about for a hot second.
0: Jen, Jennifer Price. When women used to feel fucking feelings, okay, so sometimes that looked like literally just normal human feelings. Sometimes it looked like PMS. Sometimes it looked like other mental health conditions. Whatever it was, they would come in and be diagnosed with hysteria, and. Often, i don't know the exact stats on this but i know that this definitely used to be a thing doctors would prescribe and not just prescribe jen it wasn't even like go home and have fun with your husband and do this they would prescribe orgasms and they would give it to them right there in the doctor's office they would like stimulate an orgasm for this woman for hysteria because she was feeling feelings
1: wow I, I don't even want to say. I mean, I'm, I haven't heard it before, but I'm not surprised. But wow.
0: It's it, it's maddening on so many levels because it's like, first right. of all, that's
1: assault. Right. Yeah. Like that's totally it totally assault. doctor taking advantage of a situation. Right. Yeah.
0: 100%. And also, it's, I don't know. I, as somebody who didn't start experiencing orgasms until later in life, I feel semi gaslit into believing that like they they weren't real or like they were such a mystery or like they right. are like this unsolvable Rubik's cube. So to hear that a doctor could willy nilly prescribe it and like and get it, it out right there in that doctor's office, like that—that's a little crazy. No, I think it's different
1: than like purposely seeking out sexual therapy, for example. Because I know that there are people that do that, which I think is a beautiful thing. One
0: hundred percent, totally
1: different, right?
0: <laughs> totally, we're talking about major consent. Consent is everything. This is that was not a consensual situation of a woman walking into an office because she's feeling emotions, right. to then that leading to sexual assault versus somebody who's actively seeking, right? Like a professional in the sexual field, and there's so. So much communication, so much consent, every step of the way that is the difference.
1: Well, even in just that, and even just that is also speaking to the fact that women are like not supposed to have emotions too. Like we're not, or emotions aren't supposed to be obvious, right? We're supposed right. to really keep it inside and not really speak to it. And like, and, or like that whole thing about like, you know, oh, you must be on your period. Like, you know, how many men have you heard from that from in your life? Like, you know, so many, so many and I'm, I'm sure even from your husband, because it's just in our,
0: I mean, maybe I think my husband but. knows he wouldn't live another day if he said right. that to me. I think he, I think he got that message fairly quickly when we started dating, but 100%. Yes. I know. I'm pretty sure my brother said that to me before. It's such a, um, it's such a wall, right? What do you want your period or something? Cause when you hear that, it's not like, Oh, you're right. I'm acting crazy. I need to calm down. That's such an offensive response. So you instantly get so much more vocal and emotional, and that only solidifies their like condescending argument. It's unfair. (laughs) It is offensive and unfair is how I would describe that. I
1: totally agree. And it's also assuming that like what you had to say isn't valid. It's, it's, it's backed by your female hormones in some way, shape or form. Right.
0: That's why I get, I get so protective too over friends of mine who are pregnant and they'll be having a totally normal and valid human experience. And they'll be like, it's, it's probably just the, the crazy hormones. And first of all, even just that statement right there, I feel like we write off hormones. Like it's just something small. Hormones have a 100% huge impact on everything. on everything absolutely everything. So for people to write it off of like, Oh, it just must be hormones. It's like, first of all, a fucking course, your hormones are going to change your entire life. 100%. Please don't minimize that into something small. And then like, I was just talking to my pregnant friend a couple of weeks ago and she's, she was going through something really fucking hard and frustrating. And then she like got emotional in the conversation, which to me, I could give two shits when you're crying, it's water leaking from your face. I'm still listening to what you're saying. I'm not labeling you as too emotional to speak to nothing like that. But she starts getting emotional in the conversation, and she's like, oh, "It's probably just like pregnancy hormones." And I got so defensive of her. I was like, "Excuse me, no, we're not gonna, we're not gonna do that. Absolutely not. Please don't take away from your human experience and how maddening and frustrating this is because you are going through this major transition. You don't get to belittle your human emotions because of this thing." And how many times have we heard like pregnant women feeling their feelings? And then they're just kind of written off of like pregnancy, mom brain, you know, like right. absolutely crazy.
1: It's the same thing as it being on your period. And you know what I found that actually, that when I was on my period, I mean, yes, like you said, the hormones are affecting, you know, you're feeling the feelings even more there. There's no denying it, right. That there's, there's this aspect of when you're on your period or when you're pregnant. Um, but I also found that it, to me, it was almost like I was actually being more honest, taking up more space. I actually had less filters. It's for me, it was like, I'm actually just not like pretending anymore. I just don't have yeah. with. It's not, it's almost like the opposite. It's not because I'm being more crazy now. It's because I was covering up what I was thinking before. And now I'm just being honest with you.
0: 100%. <laughs> how is that received?
1: Um, you know, not great, honestly. <laughs> because I think it's hard to explain to somebody who doesn't understand, but that's, I mean, I think they, there was, you know, like, okay, yeah, that's, I could see that, you know, I'm just not pretending anymore. I just don't have, I don't have, I don't have it in me to like say it nicely right now. You know, I'm just just saying it plainly, you know? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm being my most authentic self now. (laughs) This is what's real. This is what's honest. Yeah. 100%. I think too, I'm such an emotional being and, um, This is such an important conversation for me, actually. And I I really think everyone I was I am. I'm a crier. I cry all the time, especially when I was little. I was so fucking emotional. I would cry literally over spilled milk. I I just it was a lot. I'm sure it was so much to be with for my parents, you know, and I, I say this because. Whenever we take a dip back into like our upbringing or our childhood, it's never for the sake of blaming or shaming our parents, but really to just like have some fucking grace for our origin story and like why we are the way that we are through the lens of curiosity and compassion, not through the lens of like, yeah, thanks a lot, mom. It's nothing, it's nothing, nothing, nothing like that. And I I almost
1: talked before about 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 about. how people hurt people, right? So they, even if they're not hurt per se, they learn that, and before they trained us that way, right? Yeah, one hundred percent.
0: And also, I think the thing that we fail to observe in these conversations is like, you don't stop having needs when you're not a kid anymore. Like we all just have needs all the time. So I think about it in that. So I'm bringing this up because I used to cry all the time when I was little, and very often my my parents were very you know, open about it, curious about it, wanting to talk about it. But of course there were times that they're like, Sydney, why are you crying again? There is nothing to cry about. You have everything you need. Please stop crying. You know, like it was just cause I'm sure it was a lot. And I think the thing that I look back with empathy about is like, what if I was stuck in traffic for 45 minutes and then I come home and I trip on the stairs going into my house And then I go into the house and I see that dinner hasn't been made and that I got to like whip up something for dinner for these kids. And so I'm like working my ass off, making dinner, hoping that it's something that they like. And then I put it in front of my kid and she's crying because she wants chicken nuggets in a bowl of milk. And like how infuriating that would be. I I, I would yell. I would be like, absolutely. You're not going to cry right now. Crying is not an option right now. I don't have it in me to be with your tears right now. Absolutely not. So like as a kid, there were so many times that we didn't get our needs met, but it wasn't because it was like, it was because they didn't have, they didn't have it in them. They didn't have the bandwidth or the patience or like the emotional capacity within themselves to meet our needs because their needs weren't getting met in that moment.
1: Right. So, and they were taught not to let their needs, like they were taught, again, they almost like they were doing us a favor. So I actually have a very similar story, Sid. I don't know if I've shared this with you before, but I, when I was a kid, I used to cry all the time for all, for like little things, no reason. And so my mom made me a little book that talked about when it's appropriate to cry and when it's not and we went through this book and she like you know told me okay, this is the kind of thing you can cry on this, this is the kind of no, thing you
0: can which is never like it's so this.
1: funny cuz when i look back i think oh my god mom i like i actually asked her recently about it because i had this realization that, like i tend to like maybe you know Think that I, I kind of tend to look on the bright side and i actually wondered if like me i was looking back on my you know childhood thinking i wonder if i like see the world as really positively because i was taught that like i was taught that i can control my emotions which is kind of a beautiful thing in a way but it's also like it can really teach you to like kind of stifle them down and not allow them to just flow through you right and so i asked oh, her right. so, you know were, were you you know were you know was i positive and like a happy kid before that or you know, like, or did that come out of like this book, do you think? Like, I was just curious what she thought. And she's like, she's like, Oh, no, you were always really positive and happy. She's like, I just was really worried about you were always really emotional. So you'd be really happy. And then you'd be crying the next minute. And she's like, I just felt like, I was really worried about you because her sister has bipolar and she, and she was like, I was really worried about you. So again, so it came from a point of like, I'm trying to look out for you and help you yeah. learn, control your emotions. Right. Rather than like, just letting them flow through me. Like any normal kid would be crying.
0: <laughs> oh my God. Jen! That book. So did she buy that book or did she make that?
1: Book? Oh no, she full on me. She's She was an elementary school teacher. So she made oh. this book for me
0: yeah my god and it was Do funny right
1: know? after that happened like a, not too long after that happened uh, one of our cats like we had two kittens and one of them died like got run over by a car and when she came to tell me I didn't cry and then she came up to me later and said you know it's okay you can you can cry this is one of those instances where you can cry oh. so I remember like I think I had just sort of like like something in me like was like okay I don't need to cry all the time so I would like yeah. I would turn it off you know
0: yeah. That's so funny. Cause I feel like I have zero say in the matter. <laughs> like I've never like decided to cry. It's, it's something so bodily for me. And then, you know, I just, but I used to, um, I used to hide tears constantly growing up. Cause I was so fucking embarrassed that I was crying all the time. Like it was genuinely embarrassing for me. Yeah. And so I would notice the tears welling up and I would pretend to yawn was a thing that I would do a lot because you know how when you yawn, your your eyes get teary, right? So somebody would see that I have tears in my eyes and they're like, are you crying? <laughs> it was such like a Sydney, are you fucking crying? And I'm like, no, I just yawned, and I would just pass it off as like, I am not yawning, funny. and then I would conveniently excuse myself to go to the bathroom really quick and just try to like suck it up as much as I could because I was trained that like my feelings or my tears, and this this is. My brother, this is teachers, this is friends. Like, this is not just me picking up my parents in any way, shape, or form. This is like friends, parents. Like, it was overwhelming for a lot of people in my life how much I cried. And so I was essentially trained that my tears were burdensome for other people, that it was like this annoying thing that then needed to be dealt with versus me realizing now, like, tears aren't actually something that needs to be fixed. No. Like, I was just feeling my feels. And like, that's. There's nothing that needs to be done about it. You don't need to, to change or to fix anything. Like this is just how my body responds to things. And yeah, tears don't actually
1: always mean sadness either, right? Like
0: they they don't, I cry on every emotional scale on the spectrum. 100%. I cry when I'm happy. I cry when I'm scared. I cry when I'm stressed. Like it's all that stuff. I remember one time I was bawling, crying because my grandpa had gone into remission from his cancer and it was incredible news and very unexpected, very exciting news. And I go home to my brother and I, I'm crying and I tell him the news and he's like, Sydney, why are you crying about that? And I was so confused. I was like, I, I don't have a say in the matter. I just, this is, this is how I'm responding. And it was such like a foreign thing for him that somebody's crying of happiness. And I it's felt- It's so
1: beautiful. It's like, it's like your way of processing emotion. Like all of your emotions, it sounds like flows through. But I think that's true for a lot of people though. Like I, I as I've gotten older, I've allowed myself to cry a lot more. And I actually, we've talked about somebody I Love You, like sought out like shows like Grey's Anatomy or other shows that where I can actually let myself cry. And it helps me process other emotions that are going on because I just love that feeling of crying because you're like just releasing a lot of pent up emotion. And I definitely actually. cry like- like when I'm frustrated, most of all, like I have found that's like society in general doesn't like they get so uncomfortable when you're crying, and women in general, like especially women leaders, I think they would I think the biggest reason why they cry sometimes is because they're just so freaking frustrated, and it's like it's just natural. And I know I that's when I that's like my number one reason when I'm crying is I'm really fucking frustrated. I don't know how to say it or talk about it, you know.
0: Totally. I've I've noticed that. Yeah, that was um just like last week. I felt so. It was a hundred micro things there was not one big thing that I was frustrated about that was crying it was 100 very any one of those things standing alone would be like Sydney what but like those things all combined I was livid like I felt rage and I I noticed I was like my my breathing was a lot so I literally just sat on the floor of my room and I started you know Just being more aware of my breathing. And I was like, I'm going to fucking cry right now. And I don't know why I'm going to cry right now. Like, what is happening? And I noticed that, um, you know, a fun dance that I've been doing this past year, I noticed that since I stopped drinking alcohol, I've been a lot more angry. Um, I've like felt rage inside of me. And I'm just so curious about that difference between like, okay, so I used to feel sad. Now I feel fucking pissed. And like, what's going on there? And I think being mad. almost like a shield that protects my sadness. I also think anger feels a lot more productive than sadness, Mm -hmm. but I was actually never trained to know what like healthy anger looks like. Anger in my household growing up was like explosive and scary. And I was, I, I was never like allowed to be angry. Not that anybody told me that, but it was like people around me were getting Yeah. Angry and the thought to combat that with more anger never even like crossed my mind. Well speaking
1: of on the opposite side, like I often when I am scared, I'll I'll laugh. It's just a natural response in me. I'll just laugh like and i do kind of find the humor in the situation which is the other thing i think it's interesting but it's it's kind of my way of dealing with fear right yeah. but there have been people in my life who've gotten really mad at me for laughing in in moments that just don't seem like it should be laughing right but it's yes. like it's my it's like this natural it's almost like like you said you can't control like i can't control it almost it's like i just find myself laughing at the situation and so i think it's cuz i don't know how else to deal with it it's like a protection thing like you just said
0: straight up yeah and sometimes it totally protection (laughs) I so I'm a horror movie buff I fucking love scary movies and I went to go see one in the theaters a couple weeks ago and there were a bunch of like youths there were a bunch of like kids sitting behind us and they're just like cracking jokes the whole time and I am like a chronically introspective human now I was getting very mad and I was thinking like why am I getting mad why are these kids being so annoying like what's happening and I, I did have that thought. I was like, oh, they need to create humor in this because fear is uncomfortable. So, like, they literally need to do crap jokes around this as to not like sit in that fear. And it almost kind of creates the illusion that like they're bigger than the fear, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I thought that was so interesting to that think is. about. It is. Yeah. I also, this happened recently. So I am one of those humans who like, didn't go to the dentist for a really long time. And now that I'm going back, there's like all the shit I need done. And I go to the dentist and I I need a, I need a tooth, like fully pulled out of my face. And (laughs) right when I was right, when I sat down, I started crying and I was like, Hi, my name is Sydney. I cry. <laughs> um, I'm a crier. I belong to <laughs> I'm a crier. This is how I deal with stress. And I, no, but I was like, I've, I've had really shitty dental experiences in the past. I have a lot of anxiety right now. Um, this is just how it shows up. So the doctor around all of that was, was nice. Uh, and even so, like even his response was still nice, but in hindsight, like after processing it, I'm like, what the fuck? So he literally says this to me. He's like, so I could fully pull out this tooth. Um, I'll make it so that, you know, you'll still be awake. I'll make it so that it, w- it won't hurt, but you'll definitely feel um, that I'm there, right? Right. And so I took in that information and and I was like, what's the alternative? He's like, well, the alternative is you go see somebody else and they give you some gas and you get to pass out and then they're going to do it. And when you wake up, it's done. And so, you know, my first question there is like what are what are the, the price differences here like what are the pros and cons of both of them and then he's like I am too much of a what did he say softy he said I'm too much of a softy to do this procedure on somebody who's crying so I would recommend you like sack out and at the time I was like sweet and now I'm like excuse me sir You're going to make me pay so much more money to have this other procedure done because you're uncomfortable with my tears that I don't even have a say in the matter in the first place. My tears don't mean that you suck or that you're hurting me. They just mean that I'm scared. And this is totally a normal thing to feel scared about. Right. You're going to do the operation. I'm going to cry. We're both going to be fine. Like I just, after I got so heated about it, because exactly like you said, so many people are just uncomfortable with tears. So right. I feel the need to eliminate the tears from our lives versus like actually growing more comfort and compassion and humanity around emotions.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like just accepting that that might happen. And it's, it's so, it's also so, so indicative of, of our society to just automatically go give them drugs to like solve all the problems. Right. Yeah, right. It's yeah. <laughs> rather than yeah. actually processing your emotions for God's sakes. Crazy. <laughs>
0: It is so true. Okay, so we've been talking this entire conversation around how we're not allowed to take up space. The thing that I just kind of want to like round things up with is whenever we look at this stuff, it's not to like get everyone all rowdy and angry for all the injustices in the planet. That tends to be a symptom, yes. But we're always going to have the, okay, so now what conversation? And we're always looking to the past to just like have grace and empathy for like how you got here. If you notice that you're somebody who is wildly uncomfortable expressing their emotions, get curious, what was it like to express mo- emotions in your household growing up? Is that is that a direct reflection of how you as an adult choose or don't choose to express your emotions? Like it's just good information to look at. And something that I do, so a way that I've made myself small is avoiding confrontation. Um, confrontation is uncomfortable. So I will avoid it. It's very easy to just like ignore it. I feel like that's the case for most human beings. But when I look at myself in the mirror, at the end of the day, the person that I'm committed to being has the conversations. Yeah. And like that fucking sucks. Like I roll, like, I wish I wasn't destined to be that person, but unfortunately I am like, that's who I want to be at the end of the day. So it literally, when it comes to any confrontation, I literally look at myself in the mirror, Jen, and I I have to give myself a pep talk of like, this is annoying. I'm so sorry that you're feeling these feelings and that these feelings suck and that, you know, whatever the situation is. And you are the woman who has the conversations because you deserve to be heard because your emotions are totally valid because you're allowed to take up space. You're allowed to create discomfort. You're allowed to rock the boat. Like you're allowed to do all these things that essentially I was trained into believing that I wasn't allowed to do. And they're still wildly uncomfortable every time. Yeah, yeah. That's just, again, discomfort is allowed to take up space. There's so many things in our life that we're gonna do that are uncomfortable.
1: Yeah, just allow it's yourself not- to be uncomfortable because that's where the growth happens, right? And I feel like also conflict in general, we, I get it, We we do tend to avoid conflict, but almost every time, that I express myself, whether it's a need that I have, whether it's, you know, opinion, whether it's like an opposing, you know, you're having conflict with a, you know, parent, a spouse, a a, a child, right? Almost anytime that happens, beautiful, beautiful things come out of it. Always. It always results in something where you're both growing rather than like stagnant and staying the same. So as hard as it is, and as hard as, you know, you know, as difficult as that might be to say those things, like guaranteed, it's going to be good on the other side. Like whatever it is, even if it's painful on the other side, it's still going to lead to something so much better. Like 90% of the time. I always think about, um, this is a storyteller too, because that's what all stories basically have some kind of conflict in it. If it didn't have a conflict, it would be a boring story and, and it wouldn't be worth reading. Right. And that's the nature of life. Like as we have these conflicts and it makes it so much more interesting and fun and amazing when you, when you have a little conflict, there's always something that, could, that comes out of it.
0: So true. Cause comfort zones are cool, right? Like comfort zones are chill. That's just not like where growth usually happens. That, that's, that's not where growth happens. Growth happens outside of our comfort zone. So mandatory to get uncomfortable. And I think the overall moral of the story is you do not have to apologize for taking up space in any way, shape or form. You do not have to apologize for existing. You do not have to apologize for gaining weight. You do not have to apologize for having opinions. You do not need to apologize for being a fucking human with emotions. I'm so sorry that you were raised in a society that's trained you to believe that that's the case. And we're myth bustering that shit none of it's true jokes on us lol (laughs) let's (laughs) let's move forward in the way that we actually want to move forward the way that we deserve to move forward right yeah
1: every single person deserves to every single person you're on this planet you were born to take a space on this planet right whether that's physically emotionally or mentally And so, yeah, you challenge yourself to start noticing when you're not taking up space, challenge yourself to, when you go to a dinner party, say that thing that you're afraid to say that everyone might laugh at. So what, you know, so what if you are wrong or sound stupid or whatever, like how else are you going to start to learn to start expressing yourself and being yourself and taking up space if you don't try?
0: Right, right. And really quick spoiler alert, this goes, this comes from the idea that you train people how to treat you. So for a lot of people, you've trained people that you don't require a lot of space physically, mentally, or emotionally. So when you're willing willing to take up space, you essentially have to retrain the people in your life of like, hey, I'm taking up space now. And guess what? There's going to be so many people who are so excited for you about that. And there's going to be so many people who like that's going to be weird and new and probably uncomfortable for them. If implementing your space and implementing these new boundaries is uncomfortable in any way, it probably will be. It doesn't mean that you're doing anything wrong. It just means that you're doing something different and that those are growing pains to be expected and totally normal.
1: Yeah, I 100%. No, you will when you start taking up space. You're gonna get pushback, even from people who are like cheering from you because they're just not used to seeing you that way. They're right. just they're and they're also a part of the patriarchy. They just are, and it's just what what's just what it is. So it's gonna take them a minute to, you know, really cheer you on.
0: Right. Jen, thank you so much for everything that you brought to this conversation and your and your stories. So relatable. I really appreciate your voice and your willingness to take up space. Right back at you. Thank you so much. Always a pleasure, Sam. (laughs) All right, guys. Take up fucking space this weekend, okay? This week, this life, all of it. I look forward to hearing how that goes. Have a beautiful weekend, everybody. Bye. Bye.